put yourself out there. And my thought was, they do not care about me. I'm going to buy a mailing list. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Nah, nothing works anymore. The only thing that works is genuine. Genuineness sells. They just threw a video and they're like, you guys, I found this amazing product. And I'm like, oh my God. It never dawned on me that people wanted to get paid for this. I also never dawned on me that people would take picture in their bra and post it on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Hi everybody, my name is Kelly Martin and you are listening to the fifth episode of Making It Work, made possible by FedEx. This is the podcast featuring entrepreneurs who really do tell it like it is. We talk in depth with founders of bootstrapping startups to owners of million dollar enterprises. So if you want it straight, you're in the right place. In this episode, we're discussing how to market your business in the age of Insta fame. Asking the questions is Tom Scallon. Marketing has changed. Gone are the days of flashy primetime TV commercials, in your face billboards and magazine advertorials. We've entered a new era of crowdfunding, viral videos, and targeted online ads. Getting a hot new product under the nose of millions of potential customers was once only achievable by huge businesses with big budgets to match. But social media has changed this by creating new channels that are populated with digital natives. The likes of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook have both digitalized and democratized marketing, putting it in easy reach of startups seeking global sales. That's the idea, anyway. Big companies were certainly slow to adopt a savvy digital marketing strategy, favoring ads during the Super Bowl over YOLO Insta stories. But things have changed very quickly, and the potent combination of corporate billions and social has even carved a new career path for attention-starved millennials, the online influencer. Since I barely know my Kim from my Kylie Jenner, I was hoping our entrepreneurs could explain to me how online marketing had impacted their businesses. And where better to start than David? He's currently the owner of California-based company Shark Wheel, but he's been involved with setting up one business or another for decades. I wanted to know if he had embraced social media or still harked back to the days of radio commercials and ads in the penny saver. Okay, so social media has become the big thing. And if you go to all the old school ways you were going to do it, I'm going to buy a mailing list. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Nah, nothing works anymore. The only thing that works is genuine. Genuineness sells. So when I need to get leads or when I need to get more people in my system, I will go out to an influencer, people that are in very similar industries to me, very close to me, maybe same as me. I'm not looking for people like let's say I'm trying to wrap a skateboard wheel. I do not go after a skateboarder. I go after a surfer. I go after somebody else, a snowboarder, somebody who's got another audience that I don't currently already have under my belt. And I go after that guy. I go and give him free product or whatever and hope that he loves it. And if he loves it, he writes about it. And I end up getting a new audience and new leads. From that point, it's all about sweepstakes and specials and giveaways and things like that, people don't lie on giveaways. They lie on pretty much everything else. But if you enter a sweepstakes to win a million dollars, you put down your real address and you put down your real email and you put down your real phone number because you want to win. You don't want them to notify some fake email. So we found that sweepstakes and social media are the best ways to 
Get it out there. Get people interested in your product. Get fire out there from influencers and get people to start getting on your list. Give me your email. You're entered into a giveaway, you know, whatever. Got to get valid information from the people and it's got to be from industries that aren't the same as yours because if you keep going after the same, you keep getting the same people. You keep marketing the same guys. You got to go to ancillary influencers and try and get their marketplaces to come to you. When did you realize that influencers was such a powerful tool? Probably about halfway through the cycle of the company, about three years in, because we were spending so much money on Google ads and Facebook ads and ads, 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 ads. And then one day we got blown up. Our sales just went bananas. And we were like, what the heck happened? And we went out there and some guy who was a skateboarder had done a review of our wheels and gave him a fair shot. And it wasn't like he was even in that industry. He was like in a side industry to it. And he gave him a fair review and his people went bananas for it. Had the biggest day ever. And at that point I was like, oh my God, it's not the people that are in my market. It's in, it's the people that are in the markets close to me that I have to go to. The ones that are in my market, they heard about it a million times. If you're a hardcore skateboarder, all you get hit is with skateboarding stuff. You don't see surf stuff too often, okay? You don't see, you know, the other stuff too often. So it's that kind of stuff that we found out where it was like, we're targeting wrong. Forget Google ads and forget all these other things, even SEO, where it was like, oh, I'm going after people that are typing in the word shark wheel or skateboard or longboard. And it's like, they don't bother with those. They're already looking for skateboards. Go in the other direction. Go outside of your bubble a little bit to where it's still touching, still connected, but far enough out to where it's a new audience. So you've completely abandoned paid advertising. Completely. As a matter of fact, last week I found out something was still running and I got mad about it and I shut it off and it was only a couple hundred bucks. So you reckon the future is in uh, influencers and genuine reviews? Yeah. For us, believe it or not, it's in sweepstakes and things like that. Nothing brings in more genuine people than sweepstakes. And great content. That's the other thing. You know, we have a lot of exciting stuff that people put out for us. So our Instagram and things like that do really well because just good people put out really cool stuff. And I didn't even ask them to do it. It's not like they were an influencer. They're just like somebody with a couple hundred followers, but they'll put out something really cool. And then all of my people will see it. And then it'll go viral from there. So it's it's about connecting with your community. I send out a lot of free stuff, dude. I do. I send out a lot of free stuff. And people thought I was crazy for doing it. But I'm like, if they genuinely like it, they will say the right kinds of things. If you pay them to do it, they're going to say the words you put in their mouth. But if you feel you got a great product, send it to them. They're going to feel so good about getting it if they love it that they're going to say something nice about you. And we just had a great one. I don't know if I'm allowed to say names, but a guy named Andy Schrock, he ordered wheels from us. One of my guys saw it in the order system that he had ordered from us, and he's like, thinks this guy's the best guy in the world. Guy does a lot of videos with his kids and stuff like that. So he sent him a bunch of free stuff. And it was just not expecting anything from the guy. We didn't expect the guy to go post anything for us or do anything or whatever. It was just like, hey, you're super cool. You're a super cool dude. You got a great channel. Here's a bunch of, you know, love from us. He's posted two videos now, you know, a couple hundred thousand views a piece, blew us up again. 
And that's what works. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. I'm going to keep giving away free stuff, sweepstakes, things like that, engaging with people with great, funny content and building my base that way. And then keep marketing to them through email. I like email marketing. I like things like Clavio, where you put out great sales or great offers. And it's not so often that it bothers people. But every time it shows up, it's like, cool. And a lot of people, you know, click on it. So yeah, it's a, it's a whole different game. It's a whole different game. I used to mail 60 million pieces to the United States every month all over the United States. That was the kind of company I had. You can't do that anymore. You can't mail and get the kind of response that you need. It's this whole new game of good content, people talking about you in an organic, realistic way. You know, somebody just holding a shark wheel board while they're walking in a surf video works. It gets me a lot of, you know, a lot of attention. So yeah, it's kind of a, a runaround to get to the customer. Do you ever pay influencers to endorse your products? No, we never will. Why it's not? Because then it's not genuine. It's not genuine. If you love my product and you want to write about it, write about it. But if you want $10,000 to write a positive review, I'm not going to get any sales off of that. People don't fall for that. Genuine comes through. Genuine comes through every time. Paid ads don't work. I'm, I'm learning my lesson. I've taken so many lumps on that where... You know, I've paid for things, not influencers, but other things where I was told, oh, this is how you have to do it, or this is going to do that. And it's like, it's not genuine. It's like the radio, doing ads on radio. Just throw them in the trash for my marketplace. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Not one single person used the code that was given out. Not one. And we were out to millions of people through radio. Not one. It's like, you don't pay for ads. It doesn't work. But then I get some guy who just has 200,000 followers and he puts out a little video about me and I have the biggest day I ever had as a company. You know, that's the way the world works now. And I love it. I personally love it. When I send something, it is relevant. It is either an offer that I myself think is a really good offer and you should take advantage or it's an update with something really interesting. Hey, here's our agriculture wheel. Here it is actually in Nebraska turning through the fields and blah, blah, blah. It's something really interesting. It's something that engages them. It's not just here's today's Tuesday special. It, no, it doesn't work that way. It's topical. It's relevant. It's interesting. It's they're relevant. If I don't have anything relevant to say and there isn't anything to do, great. It ain't going out this time. You know, we're just, we'll skip a cycle. We'll skip 10 cycles if we have to. But when they do get it, it's going to be good to look at. And we look at that click rate. We, you know, we monitor it majorly. And the ones that haven't clicked for a long time, we wait a while before we revisit them. You know, we'll wait three months and then rehit them and see if any of them start clicking again. Know you, David. I know your personality. You don't pull any punches. You're happy to talk about pretty much everything. Does your tone of voice and your marketing reflect your personality? That's a great, great question. So I am the owner of the company, and the company's marketing has a voice, but the voice is not mine. It's the voice of one of the guys that works for us, Jack. He's very in tune with that world. And so he sets the tone. He does the replies. He does the how it's going to sound. I filter through him. Um, my tone is perfect for me as the inventor. 
It is not particularly good for me as the social media guru kind of person. I am a thing that goes out in videos. I am something people watch in small doses. I am not the overall voice you hear in the company. It's somebody else. It's something else. You know, companies have a voice. It's not a person. It's a thing that the brand builds. Our voice is not as bombastic as I am. Would you go out of business if it were as bombastic as you were? Probably, <laughs> like I said, I'd give it all away for free. I literally would. I'd just have it free wheels. And as long as I could do it, I'd do it. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be a business. That's why it's so important to have a team, a team, a team. It's not, you cannot do it by yourself. You know, jack of all trades is master of none. I would, I'd be the death of it if I was in the wrong parts of the company. I fit my round hole with my square peg and... It's where I belong. So yeah, I, w I would be detrimental to it if I if it was like this all the time. There we go, people. If you want free wheels, just send an email to David Patrick. <laughs> you heard it here You got first. it, baby. <laughs> it could only be David that discovers the world of online influencers by accident and makes thousands of dollars in the process. But to be fair to the guy, when he did discover it, he recognized the potential of social and grabbed the opportunity with both hands. Getting rid of Google and Facebook ads and going all in on personality. But he won't pay for it, which puts him in a minority. Someone who will spend a few bucks for the odd influencer is Akila. She's owner of Edge Entity, a Memphis-based company that makes creams to stimulate hair growth. She was amazed when people started posting videos of their results using her products. She didn't pay them. They just wanted to share their experience with friends and family. This gave her an idea. And now she does pay micro-influencers and models, but she doesn't put words in their mouth. Initially, I started selling my products just by advertising on Facebook that the products worked. And people kind of, they liked, you know, what they saw. You know, they, they liked the results and they wanted to try it. But um, social media, uh, especially Instagram, I just got into Facebook, but Instagram is probably the biggest the biggest asset, I mean, that's why I pretty much make all of my revenue. At this point, you know, I can just post a picture and and one picture and people see it and they would, you know, buy my products. That's how easy social media is. You know, you have to know what to post, what content to post and how to reach people. I don't pay Instagram. You know, Instagram doesn't know how to reach my audience, but... I post on my page, I collaborate with people, and that is exactly how I've made my money for the past couple of years. And you've told me before it's important on your social media that you show people exactly how the product works. It's not just about having beautiful models. Yes. I mean, I, I just started using models just recently. You know, I've used models for like, you know, maybe a little bit of advertisement, but that's not what's important, you know, because... My, you know, you want, you want your page and you want your social media account to look a certain way. You want it to look, you know, a little bit pretty, but that's not what I care about. I care about people seeing results. So yeah, my business has thrived off of posting what people can relate to, strictly what people can relate to. And it's not just even about results. It's about articles about alopecia. 
how to clean your hair. Like people need to know the different types of alopecia. They, a lot of people are not knowledgeable or informed about what's going on with their hair. So that's a major thing too, to post information, valuable information. And that's what a lot of companies don't do. Like, okay, you sell a product, but people don't know why it works the way it does. Why is it so important to clean your scalp? Why is it so important to know that I have this sort of alopecia as opposed to another? Like, you still have to inform people, not just sell a product. You know, give people information and teach them. Teach them about why your product works. Teach them about how to care for their hair after they use your product. You know, things like that are important. People kind of neglect that. That's what I noticed about a lot of big brands. Like I said before, competing with other brands, I see what they're not doing. And one thing they're not doing is being informative and telling people how to even use their products, like a step-by-step on how to use the product. Something as simple as that. You would think that, you know, these big brands would know to do that. They don't. And what's the advantage of using an agency to to do your Facebook social media? Um, the advantage of using an agency is pretty much the fact that it's something that I don't have to worry about. One less thing I don't have to worry about. And I can actually see the income that I'm gaining from Facebook. Like they show me the analytics, the reports, how much they've made me this day based on my budget. Every single day I can see exactly how much they've um, brought in for me. So... Do you use influencers? Definitely. Mm -hmm. I don't use them as much as I use just random pages with large audiences. And what I mean by that is, you know, I find a page that has something to do with my brand or that people who follow my brand follow that has a lot of followers, 2 million, 500,000. You know how you, you, you haven't been on Instagram. Well, I don't know. Maybe not you. But you ever, okay, you probably haven't. But there are like pages that are like makeup pages, you know, strictly just showing random girls who have beautiful makeup. And those pages might have 2 million followers. Okay, so I know that women are following this page just to see all of these random beautiful girls with makeup. So my target audience is women. So if this page has 2 million followers, I may ask them to post one of my pictures as an ad. And they have very small fees, $25, $50. So for $25, I could potentially um, have almost 2 million people see my ads. You know, that's, that's what I do more than influencers. Influencers are okay, but those pages with a lot of followers that post um, pictures that target your, your complete audience, those are more beneficial than influencers. But I still use influencers. I like to use influencers because they demonstrate my products. And that's important too. So seeing the before and after results is one thing, but being able to demonstrate the products and how they look and how to apply them, that's what my influencers are for. And, um, and, and that's um, beneficial too. So yeah, I do both influencers and uh, yeah. Does using influencers create a bit of a moral quandary for you that people might just think they're recommending this product without being paid? Yes. So most, it just depends. So one thing I don't do with my influencers, if you've never used the product, I don't have you say you use the product. Like I'm not going to say, okay, when you make this video, 
Make sure that you say, I love Edge Entity because it's made my hair grow. No, no, no. You've never used it. It's probably obvious that you've never used it. You've probably always had beautiful hair all of your life. So, no. But what you could do is, you know, because I find people who, who still have problem areas, you know, I send you the product. You demonstrate how to use the product and you tell people exactly, you know, how to use it. And maybe even if you plan to use it yourself, tell people that I have this problem area that I plan to use Edge Entity on. But one thing I don't want to do is falsify what's really going on and tell people that people who aren't using the products have used it to make their hair look a certain kind of way. I'm not that kind of person. I don't need to do that. Because my, you know, my products speak for itself. So I don't need people to come in and be fake and act like they're using the product when they don't. So, nah. Yeah. You see other companies doing that. Definitely. All the time. All of the companies that are, you know, well-established, they find girls with really long hair and hair that is already easily manageable and already beautiful. And they have them using like their curl cream or something. And a lot of times, whether the girls use their curl cream or they use soap and water, their hair will probably look just as beautiful. But I see this all the time where companies, you know, but that is the idea of an influencer. And guess what? It brings sales, especially if you have a product that is supposed to change something about your hair, not just grow it, but change the way it looks, change the texture, make, make it look a certain kind of way. It's easy when a person already has beautiful hair. But yeah, companies do that all the time. I just don't. I want to be honest. Because uh, looking at a few YouTube videos of people using your products and the kind of, kind of before and after thing, are those people that you, that you would have asked to do it or, or are they just people that want to, do, want to do it for their followers? Those are people who do it themselves. I, I'm, it's so funny because I'm amazed all the time. Like if I Google my product and on YouTube, it is, it's so many people who have used, I haven't asked them to do a video. I didn't reach out to them. They just do a video and they're like, you guys, I found this amazing product. And I'm like, oh my God. I, it's so amazing to me that people are willing to just review my products without me asking. It happens all the time. And I'm always grateful every single time. I'm so grateful for that. If you ever want me to appear as a model, Akira, <laughs> just, just, just let me know. You're listening to Making It Work. Coming up. The entire idea of influencers baffles me, but at the same time, I mean, it's genius. I feel like online influencers are unauthentic, yes. I feel like I'm not being told the whole truth. You need to put yourself out there. You need to put yourself out there. And my thought was, they do not care about me. Before doing these interviews, our intention for this episode was to discuss all aspects of marketing. Email, cold calling, TV commercials, you name it. But when I realized that our entrepreneurs were employing very few of these so-called traditional marketing techniques, we had to have a change of direction. Don't get me wrong, I knew that social media would take up the bulk of our entrepreneurs' ad budget, but the widespread use of online influencers took me off guard a little bit. I thought this stuff was for big companies paying the Insta-famous to endorse their products. A cynical tactic to compensate for the consumer crisis that is dwindling brand trust. Not for businesses that had a face. A story. 
But the message I got from my entrepreneurs using influencers, collaborators, whatever you want to call them, is that it's simply a cost-effective way to really connect with customers. And it's not always about paying people to say they love your product. Take Dana's influencers. They're just her customers. But because of the nature of her business and her ono, which is to make breast cancer survivors feel beautiful, people are more than happy to spread the message. I think online influencing is very interesting marketing tactic these days. I mean, I've been reading a lot of articles about it. Um, a recent article in the business of fashion came out that said that, you know, online influencers have killed the magazine uh, world and the editorial world. And, and maybe it maybe it has. I think online influencers can be very engaging, but I think it has to be done in a way that still includes authenticity. I would much rather trust what my friend has to say about something without them being paid to do so than somebody who is just constantly paid for every single post that they put on their Instagram. That's that's a struggle for me as a consumer even, not even as a business owner, but to say, if somebody really loves what you're doing, they're going to talk about it. They don't need to be paid. Obviously, there are people that should be paid to, to be advertisers. It makes sense. But it's a struggle um, as a business owner to say, at what point and at what time does using influencers make sense? Because of the nature of what I do and how I believe so much in authenticity, I struggle with this because if I'm going to pay a woman to tell the world how comfortable my bra is, I feel like I'm lying in some sense because I don't know if they actually do think it's the most comfortable bra they've worn. And I'm not sure about it. So I, I feel conflicted right now about it. And, and maybe I'm a little too old school when thinking about it, but I have to think about my own consumer behaviors on top of what it means to also run a business. So you're saying it's not authentic? I feel like online influencers are unauthentic, yes. I feel like I'm not being told the whole truth. I'm being told partially maybe what they think, but also majorly partially what the corporation is telling them to say. But we had commercials before, right? And commercials used famous people and famous people told us to go out and buy a soap or try a candy bar or eat a new cereal. And we went out and bought them um, because they were famous people <laughs> telling us to do it. So it, it is it is hard how it's, how it's maybe potentially being delivered and how I'm actually absorbing the information and what that looks like uh, from a consumer slash business owner's perspective. Is your message so clear and so personal to you that the marketing tactics of, of other fashion companies, can, can they seem quite shallow at times? I think so. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to see that in the fashion industry, people are starting to think about inclusion and diversity. From the beginning of time when I launched the line, I knew that I wanted to see people affected by breast cancer, that every product that was being sold to me was being sold to me on a beautiful model with beautiful cleavage, with a beautiful body. I didn't have that anymore. That was gone. That got taken away from me. And to be sold something I needed by somebody who I could not relate to was a slap in the face for me. It was not a good experience. It didn't make me feel better about myself. And what we do is we show, hopefully, the woman on the other side, somebody who looks like her, who's somebody who's been through what she's been through. And I believe the fashion industry as a whole is starting to feel this pressure because we aren't all 
six foot tall, stick thin women with no breasts walking around making clothes look beautiful. And that was the old days of fashion. And I believe in the women that are six feet tall, stick thin and make clothes look beautiful, but not everybody looks like that. So if you don't show inclusivity and you don't show representation, you're not really showing who and what you're about. And that means something to me. And I think that means a lot to society as we're developing and, and growing and having more exposure to things that fashion houses are really having to put some intent behind how are they marketing and what do those people look like and how are they telling their story? I am lucky that Ana Ono has a really engaged, incredibly supportive customer base. And I have to tell you that our customers believe so much in what we're doing. They believe that they're a part of what we do, which they are, that they are our best lead drivers. They go to their doctor's appointments with their bras on. They show their doctors, they show their nurses. And due to the nature of breast cancer and us all knowing somebody, chances are those women eventually end up meeting another woman that has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And they become the big sister and they tell them about Ana Ono. They tell them about what they need in their journey. And for that, we're very fortunate that outside of just making a bra, we're also building a community. And that community really helps us generate the leads that we need in order to stay in business. Is there a fine line between marketing your business and respecting your leads, making sure that you're not spamming your customers or your potential customers? I do think it's a fine line. It's hard for me as a business owner to think about tactics that maybe the gap uses for their customer base or something like that. Because I feel like what we do is an experience and what we do is a part of a woman's life, a very intimate part of her life. And I don't just want to spam her every day with an email that it, something's 10% off or that you buy three, you get one free. It's not salesy. It's you either need us or you don't, or you either want us or you don't. And I think because of our unique customer base, we're able to soft sell and engage with our customers and our community base in different ways than other brands are able to do so. We can create content and we can create blogs and do storytelling and share other experiences that other women have that engage our community. And through that engagement comes a purchase of a bra. And it's a very different and interesting business model because it's not just about telling you every day that a bra is $49.95 or that every month you can get a bra and underwear for $39.95. It's more than a bra. And we really truly believe in that and that we look at our customers as a whole and not just as a sale number. So here's the interesting thing, right? With Anna Ono, you always talk about the importance of community and people sharing your stories. Obviously, you're not paying any of those people uh, to take photos of of themselves wearing your product. So you were ahead of your time. No? Yeah, I mean, I never it never dawned on me that people wanted to get paid for this. I also never dawned on me that people would take picture in their bra and post it on the internet. <laughs> so, so a lot of things have changed over the years. Um, and I think that that's kind of the interesting part about it is that maybe when somebody does see their friend post a selfie in an Ana Ono bra, they know it's because their friend really truly loves what they just put on their body. And that is authentic and that is real. 
if I did start paying people to do that on our behalf, does it become less real? Does it become less authentic? I struggle with that. It seems that Dana was using influencers before she even knew what they were, but they've since become an important part of getting her message across, even if it does at times make her feel uneasy. For most of our entrepreneurs, social media has been a vital tool in growing their businesses, but they would still be grinding along without it. That's not the case for Heidi. She's the owner of Heidi J. Hale Designs, a bespoke jewellery company based out of Indiana that would not exist without social media. After a post featuring one of Heidi's creations suddenly went viral, she set about building a website, hiring employees, and, well, starting this business she never intended on having. I'll leave it to her to tell you the incredible story and to tie up this episode. Well, what happened is I've always been kind of like an independent jewelry artist. And that's been for the last 15 years. But um, three years ago, I had created a ring for myself that had my children's names on them. And my neighbor saw it. She wanted one. Then her friend saw it and they wanted one. And then she posted it on Facebook and it went viral. So my husband helped me create a website. We put the four icons, I think it was Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. So one person who got on our website pinned it to Pinterest, and within 30 days, we had 30,000 pins. So it really um, grew from there. I started off by myself, and within 30 days, I had 16 employees. Um, to date, I have about 25 employees and with Christmas coming, which is we've already seen the influx of orders, we'll be hiring probably about 10 to 15 um, temporary employees over the holidays. You've got someone to manage social media for you now, but in the beginning, how steep was that learning curve? Um, you know, it was actually... It was not too bad. You know, back, this is how much it's changed. Three years ago, you pushed a button on, you know, you make a Facebook post on your business page. You hit a button that says boost post. You throw as, you know, $25 to $100 on it. You tell, you know, how long you want that to go, whether it's one day, three days, or you want to spend that money per day. And that was it. Now, oh my gosh, within three years, it's grown so much. I mean, you have to have somebody who knows what they're doing. Surely there's got to be degrees or minors in social media marketing because when what's sad is by the time these people graduate, it's all going to change. Facebook is changing, I'd say, every three months. And you have to figure out how they're changing. So now when you do, there's boosted posts, but then there's also Facebook ads now. So then on Facebook ads, you've got to decide when it shows, what people it's going to show to. And a lot of it is if they click on my website and then they go to Facebook, that image that they clicked on is going to be on their Facebook page in their thread. It's really intricate now. And, you know, before I could even get on there and boost a Facebook ad or post, now I can't touch it. I mean, I have three people right now. I have one who posts um, post to Instagram and Facebook. I have one who answers all the questions or, you know, when people comment um, to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter or whoever else we go through. And then I have one person who's 
um, working with an outside company of how much to spend, when to spend, what products to show. And we also have a company, a different company we're working with that has artificial intelligence. It'll tell us what to post, what colors to have in the picture, what emojis to use, and what hashtags to use, because it's analyzing all the data that goes through our social media. You were talking before about um, Facebook and Instagram moving the goalposts and changing their algorithms. Do you think for small businesses now who can't necessarily invest a lot of money in social media that it's a level playing field out there? You know, I really do. And this is why, because when you're a new company and you're throwing money at a Facebook post, you're probably starting out with 25 followers or 100 followers or 1,000 followers. And 1,000 followers on one of those outlets is not a lot. After three years, we have on Facebook 650, no, excuse me, 667,000 followers. On Instagram, I think it's about 46,000 followers. So it's what it is, is that small business will not, or that tiny business just starting up will not always be able to just throw 25 to $50, you know, on a post you have to gradually move up and move up and move up. Has it surprised you how important online influencers have become in in businesses like yours? It has. It really has. Um, The entire idea of influencers baffles me. But at the same time, I mean, it's genius. Um, You've got large corporations. You've got Nordstrom's. You've got Saks. You've got Nike, all using these people to show their product. I mean, you've got the app like to know it that these influencers hook up with. And so whatever they're wearing, you screenshot it, take it to their app and it tells you where to buy it. So um, we were recently approached by one of the companies we use to combat the um, algorithms of Facebook. They suggested uh, influencers, micro influencers, So we are giving it a try and um, we just, you know, started this week. So we're getting the product out to them. But um, so what they do is they will take actual, you know, pictures with the product and that all those pictures that they take become our property. So it's kind of a twofold. They're going to post on Instagram and their blogs, they're going to show our product. So we get the followers from them. And I think these micro influencers, they're anywhere between like 40,000 and hundreds of thousands um, of people that follow them. So they're going to give you exposure. But then also you get the um, pictures that they take Um And it's something that, you know, so it's basically having like a worldwide photo shoot. Um, You couldn't afford to pay for that many, you know, people to take pictures of your product. So we're in the beginning, we're doing 110 influencers and a small portion will be men and a large, most of them will be women. And it's not going to be, you know, all the young girls. It's going to be we are choosing moms. We're choosing, you know, even the older generation. There's influencers that are hashtag 50 and over, you know. So there's a wide range of influencers for everyone out there. And so this is our first um, try at it. And I'm excited to see how it does. And, 
you know, I would get back with you guys and let you know how it works out um, because we've never done anything like this, but I am excited. Obviously, influencers is a real sort of modern phenomenon. Does it not seem a little bit inauthentic to you? Um, Okay, let me answer that with a question. Okay. Do you think the magazine ads that you see in magazines, fashion magazines, do you think they're authentic? I think when I see ads in fashion magazines, I think I know that people are being paid to being paid to do that. Right. And so I think in this world right now, it's just another way of paid advertising. So what's nice about it is think about this. You have Instagram, one big giant magazine, and you can go look at what you want. Does that make sense? Like it's you can pick what ads you see because they are specific to you. Do you think it will become a, a growing part of your business? Um, I don't know yet. That's because it is so new and we're just trying it for the first time. It's kind of more like, oh, this could be fun. Let's see what it does. Um, if it does great, I'll do it again. Um, but I feel like with how the word influencer has come out, I feel like pretty much everybody knows, you know, what they're doing, the consumer or, you know, the people following them. And honestly, I will tell you a personal experience I have when you, you know, I have bought things. I, I will say I have been influenced by an influencer. <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever say that. But when I see something on one of the influencers and then I go to Nordstrom's website and I'm like, ooh, I would have never picked that out. But seeing it on this woman, I love it. So I'm going to get it. And I think that's really what is great about it. I mean, and listen, Nordstrom's going to have pictures of that product on a person, a model, on a white background. But the influencers are giving you a glimpse of what you could possibly look like in everyday life at dinner well, let's be honest, on the beach, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you have people following you, you have people's email addresses, you have people interested in your product. How much of a responsibility do you have uh, not to spam people? Or, or is it difficult at times right. not to do it? Not to be annoying. Yeah, so that's interesting because the data that we receive from these third-party companies that tell us when we should post what we should post. I'm like, gosh, you're, you're talking about posting products seven to eight times a day, but here's every person that follows you is not seeing that. So that's why, and unless they engage in one of your posts, they may never see it. So here's what is a huge tip for all small business owners out there. When we um, for example, like we have a Halloween contest every year. So the employees dress up um, in costumes. We take their pictures and we post it online. And we say, vote for your favorite costume. And the winner gets $100, like our employee gets $100. So we average about 700 comments between all our social media outlets, which is really good. 
and you got to get people engaged and people don't always want to engage with a product. They want to engage with you. Like when I do a Facebook live and talk to the customers, we get so much more interaction. Um, so you've got to build the brand where you're selling your product, but you're selling yourself and you're selling something that people want to interact with. They want to see, they want to be a part of. So something as silly as Heidi's going to be on Facebook from, you know, five to six talking directly with you all. And then I get on there like, oh, my gosh, hi, I love your stuff. You know, it's one of those things. So it can't be just about the product. You really have to um, make it more personal for the customer. I was uh, checking out your Instagram uh, page, actually, Heidi. It's, it's very, very personal. That, that's the thing that, that struck me. Do you sometimes think, I can't be bothered to post anything today? That's not an issue. And it shouldn't be for any business owner because you're, this is your life. This is your world and it's your livelihood. So that's the way businesses run today. Um, whether you like it or not, you got to do what you got to do. Um, and here's what I thought in the beginning, because, you know, I kept having people say, you need to put yourself out there. You need to put yourself out there. And my thought was, they do not care about me. I thought it was ridiculous until I started seeing a lot of my competitors out there really putting themselves out there. I still don't put myself out there as much as some of them do. <laughs> but I mean, I think some, some of them of put, them put themselves will, out there a little too much. I think we can probably agree. Oh on that. my gosh. And that's the thing. I think you have to find the fine line between annoying and appealing. It's funny. I see a lot of people using tactics that I'm like, I can't believe these people aren't seeing right through this. You know, like I'm having a bad day and, you know, it's hard being a mom, but I created this piece of jewelry so that all moms know that they're appreciated. And then, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, yes, yes. <laughs> I feel the same way. And you're like, oh my gosh, the fishing pole, you're putting the bait out there and they're grabbing it. And you're like, what? So, but it's the way it works now. So when you see a post, I'm typically being funny or silly because... I do that better than, I don't know, sincere <laughs> or I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm sincere. Or, or authentic. Yeah, I just, <laughs> that's me. And you know that, Tom, it's like, I'm not going to play on people's heartstrings to get them to buy my jewelry. I want you to join my journey, but this is my journey. <laughs> Coming up next time. What I learned from investment, I learned from Shark Tank and that's very, very wrong. It's not the way the investment world works. When I was told we were going to go on or apply for Shark Tank, I knew we were going to get it. We were close to essentially um, getting taking money from loan sharks in order to get the cafe open. The people that give you money want their money back, and they'll find a way to get their money back, and you start to lose control over that. That's it for this episode of Making It Work. We would love to know what you think, so remember to rate this podcast. And if you don't want to miss out on the next one, be sure to subscribe. It helps us out a lot. Thanks to our entrepreneurs, Akila Augusta, Dana Donafrey, Heidi Hale, and David Patrick for their advice. Making It Work is produced by Yoli Margri, written by Tom Scallon, and edited by Lars Blockenberg, with creative direction from Jeroen von Koenigshoven. Music by Fresh Big Mouth, who created this song with actual sounds from the FedEx Superhub in Memphis, Tennessee. This show is delivered to you by FedEx and presented by Tom Scallon and me, Kelly Martin. 